0: Hey, it's such a joy and a delight to uh, be able to worship, serve God in this church, a great congregation uh, full of people that we have learned to love over years, and uh, a whole ton of new people that come in that we're learning to love. And uh, so it's a joy and delight to be in this season of our life and um, be given this opportunity. I... uh, I love hearing Pastor Chris preach. I always, I, I can listen to him above anybody else that I know. There might be one or two, but, but he's up there, <clears throat> and um, I, I wish he could preach every Sunday, and um, but you know the, the guy needs a break once in a while, and uh, I'm just thankful that last Sunday when he was away, uh, he was able to still be here, and uh, he with the technology we have, he's able to preach uh, and bring a, a message but uh, they've been in Brussels and uh, I think they've done some amazing work there and they're actually I believe on en route home so uh, continue to pray for their safe return and uh, be here next week Amen well he's been uh, delivering some excellent messages throughout this uncanceled series and um, he's asked me to close out the series now keep in mind that the book of Daniel is Twelve chapters in length, and the first six chapters uh, cover events. So, narrative of events that have taken place, and so you get some interesting stories, really nice stories, like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Daniel in the Lion's Den, and, and uh, he just brought those out so wonderfully, and and applied principles of how we should live. Uh, in our culture, based on that, in, in Chris's unique fashion. And uh, then he says, Okay, Don, you finish out the last six chapters, and uh, you talk about the predictive aspect of it, the future events, like all these dragons and all these things that come out with two heads and all these horns and all this stuff. So I said, Oh, great, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all that because I'm not smart enough. Uh, But I do want to talk a little bit about what the book of Daniel uh, teaches us about how to live in our day. And so if you would stand and join with me as we read together uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael... great Prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever father we are thankful for you and for your word inspired by the holy spirit inerrant we thank you for the scriptures thank you that that your word is truth and that you are the way and you're the life And so we just pray today that you'll open our hearts, open our minds by the Spirit of God to be receptive to your Word today. And for all that we give glory and praise to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just say from the outset that I don't, by any stretch, consider myself an expert on prophecy, end-time prophecy. Um... In fact, the last time I really did any great in-depth study on it was a half century ago. Yeah, half a century ago, I was in Bible College, and uh, we were taking the class um, Daniel and Revelation. And back then, I think still probably, uh, the two books were studied together because they dovetail and complement each other so nicely when it comes to the end-time events. Uh, And so, I don't know everything about it, but... Uh, I enjoy reading it. And the uh, fact is, I don't really have to know all that's there because I know who's in charge of what's there and uh, who's handling things. So uh, that gives us assurance. Amen. Amen? But Daniel was a man who understood his times. He had a proper perspective of what was transpiring with his people, the nation of Israel, even while in Babylonian exile. And so I want to read quite a bit of scripture today, and so if you are taking notes, uh, you might want to just jot down some of these references that you can refer to again later, and I urge you to do so. But Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read about a few verses from there, but what we're about to read, many theologians and scholars feel that this passage is the key to understanding the whole of end-time prophecy. And so I want to read that section to you, verse um, 1 through 3, starting. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So as I said, Daniel was in tune with what was happening to his beloved people, the Jews. And so recognizing that through Jeremiah's prophecy, the Captivity that they were in was reaching this designated duration, 70 years. And so Daniel offers this incredible prayer of confession. And what's amazing is that he, he identifies himself with Israel's sin. Now, he was a great man of God. But he didn't pray, now God, you know how wicked this people are. And all that they, It's because of them that we're in this mess. No, he said it's, it's us. And he identified with that. And he acknowledged that God's righteous judgments were deserved. And then he just threw himself and the nation of Israel at the mercy of God. And he says, God, we have sinned. Have mercy upon us. Then he says, remember your sanctuary and restore it. And verse 20, we read that suddenly, while I was speaking and praying, And understanding, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Well, this this captivity must have seemed like a lifetime to all the Jews in Babylon, uh, because actually, in fact, it was a lifetime. It was 70 years that they were in captivity. And so as Daniel realized that the time for uh, their prophesied captivity was almost over, he sought God for direction. And he said, you know, God, what plans do you have for your people now? What's going to happen to us now? And God made them known to Daniel through this remarkable series of visions and revelations. And so after all this long time in captivity, finally... The people were hearing from God. They realized, hey, God has not abandoned us. God has not forgotten us. And it must have been a a relief to them to know that, that, hey, God is still speaking and God is in control. And he has plans for us. And so Gabriel, the angel, said, all right, God sent a word and I'm bringing it to you. And so what is that word? And this is the key part of Daniel. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem... "...to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary." Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for letting us have this message (laughs) verse 24 let's look at it again these verses express God's future dealing with Israel following their exile from Daniel's perspective from his period of time onward and he, he refers to it in terms of 70 weeks of years now a week in our dictionary means you know a series of seven days um, in ancient usage, it could mean seven days, it could mean seven weeks, it could mean seven years. Because the word literally is seven sevens. And in this particular case, obviously, when you start looking at prophecy, uh, it's referring to 490 years. Seventy times seven. A series of a week of, of years. And so again, keep in mind that this time period that, that Daniel's talking about Refers to the Jews and not to us necessarily. Not all of humanity, because Gabriel says to Daniel in that verse, he says, uh, This is for your people, the Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem. And then he spells out the purpose, the sixfold purpose of those 490 years it's to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Now the first three, co- three purposes Christ has fulfilled by his death on the cross. He's made an atonement for sin. The other three is still happening, and some of that is still future. It is to to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, to anoint a most holy place, or uh, in other words, probably to consecrate the uh, temple of God in Jerusalem uh, with Messiah's presence. Uh, in that future time yet. And then the next verse, 25, we begin to discover that the 70 weeks that Daniel's referring to are broken into three separate time frames. The first seven weeks, or first 49 years, was the time it took for the city of Jerusalem, its walls, and its temple to be rebuilt. It actually began... Uh, The 70 weeks began with a proclamation by uh, uh, King Artaxerxes, the Persian king in in, uh, 444 and 445 BC. uh, At Nehemiah's request, uh, gave this injunction for them to go back and rebuild the city, the walls, and the temple. It was then another 434 years or 62 weeks until the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, would be revealed. Now, without going into all the study that the historians and the theologians have gone to uh, to actually pinpoint in the calendar the days in which this, these events happened, uh, it just comes out right on the, on the button. But it just tells me that God, God inspires His Word. And if any book of the Bible uh, emphasizes the inerrancy of Scripture, it would be the book of Daniel. Because centuries before it actually took place, he pinpointed the exact time of the fulfillment of these prophecies. It's amazing. But then God, uh, Gabriel continues to share the word given to Daniel in verse 26, that after the 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Now this refers, of course, to Christ, the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in 53:8, talking about the coming Messiah, says, "By oppression and judgment he was taken away." As for his generation, who considered that, uh, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And so it's definitely referring to Christ, who, uh, the Anointed One, who was cut off. Uh, for, not for himself, but for us. But then verse 26 goes on to say, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to that end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So after Christ's death and resurrection, the ruler who is to come, his people, Gabriel says, the Romans who destroyed both the city Jerusalem and its temple, this was done, history shows, in 70 AD under the Roman general Titus, uh, who later became a Caesar. And so the first seven weeks, the next 62 weeks, uh, we have 69 weeks of years. But now we come to, all right, so... So what happens in the 70th week? Between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel, or between the 483rd year and the last seven years, there's a gap. Because the prophecy relating to the 70th week has not yet been fulfilled. God's direct dealing with Israel as his timepiece in history Is put on hold. It's like God took his stopwatch and went... and put everything on hold during the interval of the church age. God's grace is upon us during this age. The church was born on the day of Pentecost, right after Christ's death and ascension. And so this is the day of salvation. This is the time when when people can call on the name of the Lord and be saved, the scripture says. This is the day that God, based upon the substitutionary death of his son Jesus on the cross in our place, is now free to extend grace to us when we come to him asking for forgiveness of sins. And we put our trust in Jesus and what he has done for us in his work on the cross. And then he offers to us forgiveness by his grace. God is just when he does that. And so we confess our sins to him. We believe he died for us. We trust him to keep us as we follow him. This is an incredible time to be living, folks. It's an amazing day, the age of his grace. But then God's prophetic clock for Israel will begin again when the Antichrist comes onto the stage and ratifies a seven-year treaty with Israel. And so verse 27 speaks to that. It says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he will put an end to sacrifice and suffering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So the 70th week begins with a covenant between most likely Islam and Judaism. Uh, permitting Israel to rebuild the temple on its original site or location. Now I can just tell you you I don't don't even need to tell you but uh, that's going to require almost miraculous skill for someone to negotiate and broker such a treaty. No one to date has made a lasting peace treaty in the Middle East but the Antichrist will succeed in deceptively pulling that off. However Midway through the seven years, at three and a half years, he will break his covenant with Israel. And with fury, he will set out to destroy the Jewish people. This seven-year period of time, the 70th week of Daniel, is referred to as the tribulation period. The last half of it, referred to as the great Tribulation. Now, we know from history that the oppression of the Jewish people has ebbed and flowed over the centuries. But during this 70th week that Daniel was talking about, the persecution, the suffering, the devastation will be literally off the charts in intensity. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, and I urge you to read that chapter, talks about this. In verse 9, He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then just right prior to the end of the tribulation, Jesus warned them. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. And he says, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It's going to be a horrible time. So if you're given opportunity and you see this begin to happen, get out of Dodge. Just to get somewhere where it may be safe. And just immediately prior to the end time tribulation and before Christ returned to earth, Jesus says in verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never shall be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days would be cut short. So because of the severity of this time of suffering and death and devastation, it will surpass and eclipse all previous periods of suffering experienced throughout human history. And so it's into this cataclysmic Time that our opening text in Daniel chapter 12 is referring. Verse 1 again, at that time. This is is that period of time that Daniel has just been referring to in chapter 9. And hey, in those three verses, he has crammed thousands of years of history in just those two two or three statements. But now, in the middle of the tribulation, at that time, and toward the end of the the tribulation, shall arise Michael, that great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, in this series, we have watched... (coughs) as Daniel has demonstrated the proper way to respond in an ungodly culture. From being transported from his homeland into a foreign, cruel, ungodly nation, uh, from the challenges of uh, under the threat of death, you know, denying his faith and bowing down to idols or stop the prayer that he normally carries on and going into the den of lions, etc., In adjusting to the differences of several administrations under different kings, Daniel has led the way in showing us how to live godly lives in the midst of changing ungodly cultures. He has taught us by example how we should live in our own changing ungodly environment. It's kind of difficult, isn't it? Even for us today in this age of grace um, to respond in a godly way, to some of the troubling things that are happening in our nation and in our world today. But just think about this. How in the world would a person respond to a culture such as the one that Daniel and our Lord Jesus and Paul and other New Testament people speak in describing the Great Tribulation? How do you live in the middle of tribulation and even the great tribulation, the worst time ever in human history? Well, the amazing truth is that Daniel continues to show his people how to respond in that horrific circumstances that they will be in during that period in the future. He lets them know, first off, that, hey, God knows what he's doing, he knows what's happening, he's still in charge. And he will deliver his people. Michael, the great prince. Now, the book of Jude refers to Michael as an archangel, which is the highest order of angels, um, highest ranking. Uh, And Michael, obviously, is the angel who has charge over the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people, the Jews. And he says, Gabriel says, he will deliver everyone whose name was found in the book. So in the middle of what's definitely the most hopeless situation, here emerges the assurance and hope that they they would need. And he says, God's made provisions for you. He says, Make sure your name is in the book. That's Daniel's charge. Maybe he's referring to the Lamb's book of life. I think probably. Interest to that is obtained by uh, placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And that choice, that decision to accept Christ and to trust him is your only way, he says, to escape and experience deliverance. And furthermore, that decision, he says, will also ensure that the resurrection that Daniel refers to in in verse 2, they would be included in the resurrection that is to eternal life rather than those who are raised to shame and contempt. So Daniel is showing in the worst possible period of time God has plans for his people. And they will come to pass. They can trust God. And then Daniel con- conveys this promise of the rewards they'll receive. If they live wisely and turn many others to righteousness. He said, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So these great rewards, basically, is, it's the glory of that God gives them, the glory he pours upon them. Uh, It's going to require that they live as God requires, as he demands. In other words, Christ-like behavior lived out in the midst of those horrific times. Isn't it true that light shines the brightest in the blackest darkness? These Jewish believers, I believe that during the tribulation time, tribulation period and then even the millennial reign of Christ to follow that many multitudes of the Jewish people will turn to Christ in fact the Bible says they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will they will be broken they will repent I believe many of them will call upon God and call upon Christ and believe him for salvation not only so evidently but there will be those also who will to their fellow Jewish people, began to witness to them and say, hey, you need to put your trust in Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so I believe there, there will be multitudes that will come to Christ of Jewish people during that time. I'm excited about that. I think that's wonderful. But as I mentioned, these 70 weeks, these 490 years that Daniel was speaking of in this context, referring to uh, the Jewish people the nation of Israel. He's describing God's future dealing with his people, the Jews. So what does that have to do with us? Unless you're a Jewish person. Will we have part in the 70th week, the tribulation period? I hope not. I hope not. Most Bible scholars agree that the true followers of Christ, the church, not a denomination, not a certain denomination, but those who truly know Christ, who put their trust in Him, um, the word in the Greek is ekklesia, "ek" out, ecclesia called once. So uh, the church is those who are called out, called out to follow Christ. And so all of those who have put their trust in Christ, uh, living in this church age, the age of grace, this interval between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel, um, this is the period that we can simply call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. But just as the church was not involved in the first 69 weeks of Daniel's vision, Many feel that it's logical that they won't be involved in the 70th week, since these are referring to God's dealings with his people, Israel. Instead, much of the New Testament speaks of the church age, in which is a time for we Gentiles to come to Christ. So where does that leave us? God graciously paused his prophetic clock relating to the Jewish nation, although he still, he still deals with the Jews, and the same grace extended to us and the church has, is extended to them right now as well, but because he wants everyone to experience salvation. Christ died not just for the Jewish people, but he died for us. And he atoned for the sins of the whole world so that through him, everyone who believes and trusts him will experience everlasting life. Is there anyone... Who cannot quote this scripture? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. It's not just just for the Jews, it's the whole world that can believe. So, for over 2,000 years, God has given us opportunity to experience new life in Christ. How long will this church age continue? When will God restart? his time clock for Israel. We don't know for sure. Although Christ describes characteristics of the time leading up to the end of the church age, and most students of the Bible believe that we're nearing that time. So how does the church age end? It ends when Christ comes in the air to catch up his bride, the church, to be with him. That's referred to as the rapture. The word rapture is not in Scripture, uh, but the description of it, uh, that whole event is in numerous places in Scripture. Uh, most noteworthy are Paul's words to the Thessalonians. He says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's those believers who have already died at that, t- at that point. Then we who are alive, you are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord therefore we encourage one another with these words so as followers of Christ we have to be continually ready and expecting Christ to catch us up to be with him because i believe we are living at at the end of end of days for God's prophetic dealings with us. and and the church age, we can see how those things could easily happen. Now, historically, our movement has been very evangelistic in its early years. There There was a great expectancy that Christ would return at any time. We wanted our families. We wanted our friends. We wanted everyone to be ready to meet Christ. And so we were an evangelistic movement at that time. There were messages, many messages on preparing for his return. In fact, some of them were so fervent and so compelling that we were constantly expecting it to happen at any time. At times we were fearful that we would miss out on being called up to be with the Lord. I clearly remember, clearly remember a day when Dad and I, were in the church basement working on a furnace, church furnace. Dad was pastoring the church at that time. I was in my mid-teens. And I couldn't stand still for if you paid me, however much, I, I was just always going. So I was momentarily distracted by something and I didn't see dad leave the basement to retrieve a tool that he needed. So when I nonchalantly turned around to help or to watch he wasn't there I went into a panic I was sure that the Lord had come and I wasn't caught up and so I raced out of the basement and I wasn't looking for my brothers or sister and my youngest brothers I, look they, I knew they weren't ready just joking Greg but I knew mom was and mom it's good to have you here today she was ready I'd raised into the house and oh, to my relief mom was there I knew it hadn't happened <laughs> so I went back and sure enough dad was working away on the furnace oh thank you Jesus <laughs> and is it a bad thing that I dreaded the thought of being left behind no and yes no to the extent that it makes me be careful to follow Christ's warning to be ready because Jesus said in an hour you are not expecting the son of man will come and he used the illustration two will be together in a field working two will be working and grinding at the mill or whatever one will be taken because they were ready the other left because they weren't And so it's not a bad thing to always remind oneself that his coming is imminent. That it could happen at any moment. In an increasingly ungodly environment, it's very possible that we could lose sight of the truth of Christ's return. In fact, in that 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, And because lawlessness will be increased in the end time, the love of many will grow cold. The enemy of our souls would love nothing more than for us to ignore or neglect the warning to be watching and ready for the Lord's return. We should provoke one another to faithfully be reminded that Jesus could come at any moment. Are you ready? In fact, so intent was the early church on this that when they greeted each other. It wasn't, hey, how, how are you doing? How's your day today? And everybody said, oh, it's going great, and even if it's not. But what they did was they would greet each other and say, Maranatha. What that means is the Lord comes. The Lord is coming. A reminder. And I think we need to get back to the place where we say, hey, Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Be ready. So no, it's not a bad thing to live in that that expectation of his coming but yes it is a bad thing to live in fear and dread of it because that's an unnecessary existence you don't have to live like that make ready for the coming of the Lord and obviously that's by turning your life over to Christ letting him by his love and grace transform you so that you're trusting him for forgiveness of your sins and thus becoming a child of God your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And then you don't have to be fearful. God doesn't want us to live in a spirit of fear, be anxious or fearful. But He's given us a spirit of love and of power and a sound mind. So how should we live in this culture as we approach what we believe to be the end of the church age? But well, Paul gives excellent instruction. And this I'll close with this scripture. This is how we should live and, and approach and anticipate the the coming of Christ. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared. This is the age of grace, thank God, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works basically what Paul is giving us as instructions for how to live at the toward the end of this church age are the same instructions that Daniel gives to the Jewish people and how to live in their end of the seventh week time. That is, live a godly life and invite others to become a follower of Christ. Certainly, we need to turn many to righteousness. In this increasingly dark time of our culture, live wisely and lead as many as you can to Christ. Listen, Paul, I think Pastor Chris brought this out last week. Make sure your life makes way for the reception of your words. This past Monday morning in my devotions, I came across a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He said, A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies in other words there's no substitute for a a gospel life if you're going to share the gospel message our lifestyle the way we live today adorns the gospel of jesus christ everything about our lives our speech our demeanor our habits our responses, our relationships, all of that either gives credence to or it discredits the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so live in such a way that your conduct matches and strengthens your witness to others.